Welcome back to Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. I'm James, joined in the studio, as always, by... Sean. And Stephen. How's it going, both? Good. Thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm pouring out of him. Um, Electricity I'm, in this room. I'm pretty good. Um, recently back from another... US work trip. It's becoming a bit of a theme at the moment. So um racking up the air miles there, James, I've got you? I've got a lot of air miles in my account. That's that's all I'll to say. Avios yes. invite you to the Christmas party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get a special letter from the CEO of BA now just to say thanks for being a customer. I mean at this rate you should join an American lodge like That's well, a very good point. I bet there's a line of them. The, queuing up ones and you to join. The especially as a co host on Craft Heart. The, the lodge that I, I go to normally is called Monroe Lodge twenty two, which is in Bloomington in the Grand Lodge of Indiana. So if you're listening, hello guys, good to see you again. Um, yeah, I go there pretty frequently and I've made some friends with a few of the members and actually they're, they're now, he was the Tyler, he's now their inner guard equivalent. Uh, went to the shooting range with him last time I was over there, went up to Indianapolis and went shooting for the afternoon, which was a fun experience. Mm. When in Rome. When in Rome. Like clay pigeon shooting kind of thing or... No, like a proper AR rifle. Oh, wow. Full, okay. full blown thing, yeah. <laughs> oh, as in, oh, it's like a shooting range. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, is... this is the British psyche, you see. We don't have no comprehension of uh, no. owning a large assault a rifle. A large gun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what about Brother Watley next to me? Um, yeah, I've been great. Studenty things, mm. uh, studying, dissertation. How is that coming on? Because you assured us in a previous episode that despite Sean's reservations, it would be an interesting... Sean's, Sean's ignorance. Dissertation. Let's change it. To it was... It, it, it's, it's great. Thank you very much. I'll have you know. I'll send it to you, you to read to if you... 9,000. Not sure, too much. I'm sure it was 10 when I did it. They're getting away lightly now. Yeah. You've, you've, you've got yeah, but, 10% below but the 10% over thing. No, no, that, that's the 9,000. Then I could do 10% below or, or above so 9,000 is the, the set limit. But I mean, James, well, the difference is my, mine's actually like difficult to write as well on top of being 9,000 Oh, because I do a proper subject. He's throwing, I mean, I did do engineering. <laughs> oh, so, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> I thought you did a humanity, to be fair. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I did politics. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just throwing shade at you, mate. Most of my dissertation was actually full of mathematical formulas. Okay, okay. In that case, I, I take back what I said. Thank Any Pythagoras? Uh, Any Euclid? <laughs> no. Uh, inspiration from your... Sonic. A lot of fast yeah. Fourier transforms in mine. Sorry, say that again? Yeah, exactly. Let's move on. What about you, Mr. Butler? What have you been up well, uh, to? Uh, not, not, not a great deal, if I'm honest with you. Just carrying on with life. Mm-hmm. We are joined today by our assistant producer, Billy Baron-West. Hello, Billy. She can't respond. She hasn't got a mic. <laughs> but we're good. Yes, life continues apace at UGLE. But we are excited to be with you today. And we do have a fascinating guest, do we not, gentlemen? We do indeed. James? Yeah, we really do. Uh, We've got Brian Deutsch on, who is the curator and put together the Brothers in Arms exhibition here at Freemasons Hall upon the second floor, which catalogues some really fascinating photos of Freemasons from the First World War. Should we speak to him? Let's do it. So, Brian, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about this collection and how you sort of first developed your relationship with it? Okay, well, a strange thing happened. I was in the cable television business in the 80s. And towards the end of the 80s, I got a um, telex in those days um, from my (laughs) office in London saying to me that the BBC were thinking of selling this archive. It was called the Halton Archive. Mm. Very quickly, the background of it is that there was a gentleman called Sir Edward Halton who owned a, a magazine called Picture Post, which was like the life magazine of the UK. 
it ran for 20 years, from 1938. When it came out, and especially during the war, it was read by everybody. Mm. People would pass copies around because there was a shortage of print, but they would pass the copy. 20 million people read this during the war. Wow. So it, it, it did something unique. It was, picture, it was a picture post. It mm. told everybody the stories of the, of the, of the week with pictures. Um, and it ran very successfully. It took a lot of the now famous news photographers uh, like Bill Brandt, and I could name names that probably won't mean that much to you, but they'll see them in these, in these pictures. Mm. And they amass a, a vast collection of pictures of that time. But what um, Picture Post also did is they used to do centenaries. So they would do old pictures. And there were libraries where they could get these pictures from. So they would rent them from them so that they could put them in and, and talk about the history of photography. Mm. After a while, they started buying them themselves. So what I discovered well, when I bought this collection in 1988, there was quite a bidding war going on. The interesting thing is that Robert Maxwell was one of the bidders, oh. and he thought that he would definitely get it because he's Captain Bob. Mm. Um, but the BBC decided they didn't want to sell to him. And um, I can't say it, it, it grieved me greatly, but he wouldn't talk to me for four years after that. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, the fact of the matter is that when I bought it, I had no idea what was in it. And I didn't really know that much about photography. But I hired the head of um, Christie's photographic department to come and work for me and teach me about photography. And what I discovered there was not just these wonderful photographs from the war and, you know, from 1938 onwards, but this amazing archive of historic images. Mm. And we used to go around in the middle of the night, what I called halting, and I used to haltinate. Uh, I, I would, you know, it, it would be say at one o'clock in the morning and we just opened a drawer and found these amazing pictures. Wow. I remember one night we opened a drawer and found 105 pictures by somebody called Captain Linnaeus Tripe. They're the rarest big elephant-sized folios, uh, mezzotints, from 1856. They're worth an absolute fortune. Wow. But we found, well, I found over 50,000 rare images um, looking through them. Wow. And um, anyway, so what I thought is, uh, this is amazing. This is the most astounding collection, but what do you do with it? Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a private collection, not going to be much use. So I said, well, we've got to make this available to other people. And the only way to do that is not by sending the, the images out or just copying them. We needed something a bit more. You remember this is 1989, 1990? Yes. Before the internet. So I drum scanned 100,000 pictures. Wow. You won't know what drum scanning no, means, no, no. But, but it means that... Being born in 1999, I do not <laughs> exactly. know what drum scanning means. So drum scan means it's the old-fashioned way of scanning a picture, right. of, of copying it. And it cost £10 for each one of those pictures. So wow. it cost me a million pounds. To, but, but I said, this is the only way people are going to access this, this library, and wow. they will pay me for the images afterwards. Yes. At the time, I'd met... quite Bill, some commitment, though. Well... <laughs> I, I paid a lot, of, lot more for the actual collection and <laughs> um, mortgaged my house for it. But that's, that's, that's another story. I loved it. I fell in love with this library. Anyway, and, and I met Bill Gates, the first, one of the first TED meetings. Um, and I said to Bill, you, you've got to come and see my collection. You've got to understand this is the most wonderful trove. People, and Bill just said to me, 
I don't get it. Why would people want pictures? I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, the joke is, having spent a million pounds on um, scanning them, he paid me two and a half million a couple of years later to get 50,000 pictures for Incart Encyclopedia. <laughs> so he actually paid me back my money, but Brilliant. I would have much rather he came in. Yes. Um, anyway, I love the pictures. We then made um, CD-ROMs of them. This is again before the internet. So each CD-ROM... I know what CD-ROM is. So these CD-ROMs were for the decades. So they started in 1900, went up to 1950. Each one had 5,000 images on it. Mm. So you could index them and look through them. So you had 50,000. These are the 50,000, the same 50,000 that, that, that Bill Gates took. Yeah. So people then started to see what these images meant and were able to copy them and get rights for them much more easily than just sending them out. Yeah. And it became quite a, a meaningful business. Um, and I ran it for nearly 10 years. So what happened was, and then something happened. My shareholders um, were rather nasty to me, went behind my back and sold it to Getty, oh. which is another story. But the fact of the matter is that 20 years later, I hadn't been near the place. Quentin Humberstone, whom I think you know, yeah. mm -hmm. came up to me and said, Brian, I mean, we've been, Quentin and I have been friends for over 20 years. It's the end of the First World War. Would you be willing to go back to the Hulton and, and look at images to do an exhibition? Anyway, when I went back there, I discovered that Matthew Butson mm. was now running it for Getty. And Matthew was the office boy when I bought it from the BBC. Oh, right. Was the most knowledgeable <laughs> person in the whole collection had not got a university education or anything like that, but he loved pictures. Mm -hmm. And I was so thrilled to see Matthew again and see him running this thing that I, you know, my heart melted. And I said, fine, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. And they actually gave me the pictures for nothing. Mm -hmm. um, because I said, well, I, I'm doing this as a charity. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it for my own glory. I'm not really being paid. I'm doing this for, for the Masons. Yes. Um, because we're going to celebrate 100 years of the First World War and use these pictures. And that's what happened. And I selected 240 pictures. Now, they weren't all from that collection. Some of them were. Some of them from, were from Alame, mm. some from the, the Scottish collections and various other pl places. But the idea of this whole thing, I, I didn't want to do what everybody seemed to do, is all the blood and guts of the First World mm. War. Mm. To me, that's been done to death. I mean, we know so many people died, terrible tragedy, horrible thing. But what surprised me, looking through these pictures, was... Brothers in Arms. It's actually the good deeds that especially people like the Masons did. Yeah. I think that there was a, essentially a, a gap in, in what was covered over over the First World War, that, that, that immense camaraderie and, and Correct. Um, and I friendship. Thought, yeah, I thought this is something we need to show. Mm. We need to show the spirit of brotherhood and, and the spirit of you know, getting together, not just with, with the British but fact, it actually happened several times. There's a picture, one of the pictures of people playing football together. Mm. Um, that famous Christmas football yes. match. Yeah. So it's, people ha you know, had to kill other people. It was a terrible thing. But it did, and, and again... There the were moments of humanity in this huma inhumane, more, war, more, I guess. Yeah, more than that. The, the um, fact of the matter is that more officers died in the First World War proportionately than enlisted men. Mm. And the reason for that is because they went over the top first. They led their men. So forget about Blackadder. He's talking nonsense. Mm. Um, the real fact of the matter is that they did go over. And uh, there's, a, there's a, actually a Masonic VC who's in this collection 
that I'll maybe tell you about in a bit, mm. who ended up, he got his VC in 1915, taking machine gun placing and got shot to pieces, was in, invalided at home, went back out, rose to the position of a lieutenant colonel and ended up dying towards the end of the war on his white charger, being shot down by the enemy. And mm. his, all his men cried when he died. He was wow. so loved. Mm. So, and he was, he, he, was, he was a wonderful mason. Uh, in, in his lodge, um, you'll see there's one of these things in the exhibition. Um, it said, that, you know, that this man earned the most important thing to a human, you know, to, a, to, to a, an Englishman, the VC. Um, so the, the valor of these people, the camaraderie of them, this is really what I wanted to show. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to ask you an impossible question. Yep. <laughs> Out of all the photos that you've, you've seen that are in the collection, do you have a favorite? I'll tell you, funnily enough, I'll, I'll tell you what my favorite is in a way. When I took the Duke of Kent round the exhibition, I, he, he was fascinated by the whole thing. He loved it all. And... I showed him two pictures of his father, of his grandfather. Wow. And he said to me, Incredible. wow. I said, yes, that's your grandfather pinning one of 50,000 medals that he pinned on soldiers at the front during the First World War. He said, I never knew that. I said, I bet you also didn't know that he went out to the front over 450 times. He was there all the time. And it's what made our royal family. Yes. Because yeah. people said, I'm not here for king and country in some sort of fabled way mm. i've seen the king he came here shook my hand last week wow so, so wow. the king not only came on on his own he came with uh, with queen mary he brought his sons to, to the front as well um, and he really supported the war effort amazing so i think that, that one of those pictures of uh, of the king um yeah. either pinning his, his modesty mm. there's another wonderful picture of the king haig is somebody who's very badly maligned Yes. Um, and I have a lot of time for Haig. Mm. Haig spent the rest of his life after the war devoted to helping wounded soldiers and soldiers generally. Mm. And he was a great friend of the king's. And there's a marvellous picture. I think that's my favourite picture. Mm. Yes, it is the king. But it's a picture of Haig showing with his cane Tipval, which was one of the great battles of the First yes, World War, with the king sitting on a little chair and being explained... Wow. How the battle went by Haig. I love that picture. Wow. You can see the closeness of these two human beings. Yes, yes. And obviously, Brian, that then leads us to Freemasons Hall and the exhibition here. You've spoken a little bit already about the Masonic connection to these photographs and how widely Freemasons are, are found throughout the collection. Did that surprise you when you first when you were first doing your research into these photographs, did it surprise you just how many Freemasons were involved? Absolutely. Yeah. I had no intention of singling out Freemasons. No. It happened. It happened that Kitchener was a Freemason. It happened that Haig was a bit of a Freemason. Well, yes. are, are you a Freemason for those who... I'm not. No. I am not, actually. So. I have lots of Freemasons. My son, actually, my oldest son, is a Freemason. Oh, brilliant. Had just been raised. Oh, great. In fact, Quentin invited him to his lodge to Globe Wonderful. last night. Oh, brilliant. For raising. My, my younger son also now wants to become oh, a Freemason. I was invited to that. I, <laughs> I should have gone. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not that I wouldn't do it. It's just, you know, to me... I have friends in lots of, no, of course, yeah. religions, lots of um, disciplines. Um, I'm kind of, 
agnostic to everything. I mean, I, I accept all of it and the good work that the Masons do. So yeah, I, I just it, thought that was an important point to make that you know you really did have no intention at all of finding well, it wasn't of, of singling out Freemasonry I, in, in this brothers in arms. Yeah. You just so found that that was the case. Absolutely, I was quite surprised. I mean, yes, I knew that some of the leaders were, but to find so many of the fighting people in there and lower down the ranks that were, mm. absolutely amazed. Yes, yeah. and what do you think it is about? Um, that relationship between the military and Freemasons. I know we were talking off mic earlier that there's quite a high proportion, you, you're saying, of VC holders that turn out to be Freemasons. I, I t Look, to be perfectly frank, for somebody to get a VC means that they've done something extraordinary. Mm. They've had courage beyond the call of, of duty. Mm. I, I, I learned from Johnson Bihari, actually, who's a, who's a Freemason and a VC holder. He gave a talk at my school uh, once upon a time. Uh, and I, I couldn't tell you the exact percentage, so I will probably get it wrong. But my guess is something like you have to be 99.6% dead to receive a VC. Mm. Uh, right. Or more, um, and uh, you know that percentage might be slightly off, but but you know, t t essentially, you you have to be extremely beyond lucky to be alive to mm. just receive that, mm. and and also have that you know act of of courage and valor to to go and do that. So yeah, it's an really incredible. I'll, I'll tell um, you a wonderful story. Oh, no. I mean, this is one of the most remarkable men in the exhibition. He started off. He actually was born in England. At the age of two, went to New Zealand. At the age of and when he was at school. Um, was a swimming champion and a boxing champion. He then qualified as a dentist, but at the age of 22 decided that this is all pretty boring stuff. I want to do something more interesting. So he went over on a ship where he paid his way by working on the ship. And he got to Mexico and fought with Pancho Villa mm. in his revolution. Mm. Then in 1914, he heard about the war. I thought, wow. This is amazing. I really want to go and support the, the, the thing. So he didn't have any money. So he went to Los Angeles and won a swimming competition, went to New York, as one does, and won a boxing match to earn his fare to go back to England. Wow. Somehow or other, he got introduced to Churchill, who got him a naval position, because Churchill was in the Admiralty then. This man then decided after a while that Actually, being in the Navy, not that good. I really want to go to the front, um, see where the real action is. Mm. And he went to the front and he'd earned, well, he got a DSO and three bars, which very few people ever have. A DSO being? A Distinguished Service Order. Mm. Um, and he also got a VC. Wow. So he was one of the most highly decorated people ever. And he ended up at... At the, at the end of it, towards the end of his life, becoming the first New Zealand High Commissioner for New Zealand. Wow. And got a peerage in the 50s. Mm. He was truly one of the most remarkable men. And he was so shot up. Um, I mean, you say 99%. He really was shut up all over the place. Mm. And Churchill called him the Salamander <laughs> because he said, I don't know how this man ever survived the mm. fire that he was under. And in fact, when he became a baron, on his emblem for his coat of arms, he had a salamander. Huh. Wow. So, um, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> <laughs> because when I take people around the exhibition, I will show them. Right, okay. Yeah. Brilliant. But these are the kind but of remarkable a, yeah. people yes. that we have here. Yes. And, and, he was a, and he was a Freemason. 
he was a Freemason, very yeah. much so, yeah. Um, and so something I'd like to ask you is what drove you in terms of what's your passion with this? What You individually, why did you want to do this exhibition and show people what you've seen? Obviously, you, you love this. Um, well, I've, I've always believed since I bought this collection in 1988 that pictures... You know, there's a corny thing, a picture says a thousand words. Well, pictures are the most evocative way, especially if they record actual events yeah, or actual story, people yeah. of telling the story. You look at a real, a good picture of somebody's face and you can see the pain or the pleasure or whatever. A really good photographer will take all that. And so these are amazing pictures of people. Mm. And they show um, remarkable things that, that history books and words can't always do. Can't, can't, can't tell you. evoke the the same no. emotion and the, the same and that's why I've grouped them in a special way I mean I'd never done this before no. I took pictures and put them in groups so we could illustrate different types of events or the, I mean that the, there are wonderful pictures here of women in the war mm. and I, if I can talk about that for a minute quickly. yes of course w women are very important in the first world war because mm. it was one of the first times a that women were actually involved in going to the front b they took on a lot of the jobs that the men who'd gone to the front had left behind. Had left yeah. behind. So they did factory work. Mm. But when they went to the front, they also drove the ambulances. And what's interesting is, not only did they drive the ambulances for us, but they drove the ambulances in 1917 for the Americans, mm. who forgot to bring anybody with to drive them. <laughs> um, careless of them. Yes. Anyway, but the fact of the matter is that the women became very prominent in the First World War. It's one of the things, in my belief, that actually after the whole suffragette movement gave women the vote yeah. straight after the war. And there is a remarkable woman who was also a Freemason from 1910 um, who, was the, who ended up being the commander of the women's forces mm -hmm. who was also in this exhibition. And yes. it's the only colour picture in the exhibition. That's right. Yes. Beautiful lady. I'm, I'm just looking at it now in, 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 the, in the book. Major General Dame Florence Burley Leach, um, who was actually a member of the Honourable Fraternity of Ancient Freemasons as well. Yes. So even back in the very earliest wow. days of female wow. Freemasonry in this country, um, that relationship between sort of military service and Freemasonry is, is right at the core, even in those early days for the Women's Grand Lodge. I just think it's a remarkable photo. And as you yes. say, one of the, one of, or not the only colour picture well, because it's such a beautiful portrait. Yes, it amazing. Is. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Should I tell you a little bit about it? Please. Her? Yes, please. She was a remarkable woman. She was married to a, an army officer, quite a, a senior army officer, and was brought up, I suppose you'd call it upper middle class. And at the beginning of the war, she volunteered. And so she went, and of course, beautifully dressed, um, volunteered in this hospital and went in. And the matron in the hospital said, what are you doing here? She said, I want to work. So, no, 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 we don't need posh people like you. This is not um, what is... Anyway, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. She went to the um, employment agency mm. and got herself, I suppose, what the equivalent of a P45 was in those days, came back and said, here you are, I now want to work for you. Anyway, what happened after a few months, she was moved from one place to the other. Um, when, when the matron at that hospital came to see her in a hospital down in East Grinstead that she was, she saw her on her hands and knees washing the floor. And she realised she completely misjudged this woman. So this woman was very remarkable. Both she and her sister, who unfortunately was killed before the end of the war, kind of um, dovetailed with each other to run um, the women's uh, army. 
and it was it was an amazing story. What happened with her sister was that right before the end of the war, she was on a um, a, a Red Cross ship going back from Calais to Dover, and the Germans blessed them, torpedoed it, even though it was a Red Cross ship, and she died not because of she died saving other people. Wow. She didn't want anybody to, to be drowned, so she actually died saving other people. Wow, incredible! Story. It's, it's a wonderful story. Well, I'm I'm just uh, having looked through as well. Um, my probably favourite page so far is the entertainment, respite, and hospitality and healing page, uh, and you see some incredible pictures at a pop-up barber shop where they were all yeah. cutting each other's hair and and, and shaving and uh, a shoulder to lean on is probably my my favorite mm. photo of uh, them all of of them all sitting there leaning on each other's shoulders mm. and i think that really encapsulates probably everything that this book is about the camaraderie and and friendship found in such a horrible time um and and th- through through the lens of, of freemasons yeah. who value that that aspect of, of life so so highly it really created a brotherhood, mm. uh, not just a Freemasonry brotherhood, but a brotherhood in the army that was a very special thing. And people missed it after the war. Mm. It's one of the reasons people came into Freemasonry afterwards. They thought, where can I go to have this sort of camaraderie that I've had for these four horrible years? Mm. But even in the trenches, wherever I was, I had these friends around me. Mm. And some of them were Freemasons, and they thought, wow, this is the way to carry on. Mm. And you said a, 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 something like a sixth of all VC holders are Masons yeah. or were Masons um, and some of it was in fact not that they were Freemasons before they became VC holders but afterwards because of the what you Correct. were just talking about Correct. Mm. I, I don't know, the, I've never worked out the percentage but it's something like 30% of them wow. Yeah. Um, wow. became That's Freemasons it. afterwards mm. so wow. it just shows how, how, how thing, much yeah. um, credit they put to that uh, brotherhood Yes, incredible and Brian, just talking um, about the name of the exhibition, Brothers in Arms, but arms spelt A-L-M-S. Was there any sort of particular inspirational reason for choosing that word? Well, um, it's a bit corny, but I mean, the, the, the idea, <laughs> you know, no. Brothers in Arms is what you usually put, but I thought, no, the, the, the truth of the matter is that's what this building is all about. Mm. It's the arms, it's the charity, it's the good deeds that mm. were done. The mm. hospitals in the First World War that were set up by the Freemasons, yeah. the all the, the 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 schools, all the things that the, the, that they gave to the community and continue to give. So I thought it was very important to show. It, I wouldn't call it charity. It's part of this whole brotherhood. Yes. Now, Brian, I know you're 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 very keen to invite, be it members of the public, be it Freemasons, to come along and view the exhibition for themselves. How would a Freemason or a lodge go about? Doing that. Someone listening to this decides yeah, that, they, that they loved this. it and want to come and see it. Okay. I, the trouble with, ha- with looking at the exhibition itself, if you just walked around it, it's not like looking at... Because each, each tableau has got eight or nine pictures on it. Yes. And they are related and there's a story behind them. Mm. It's difficult to get the drift of the whole story of why they're all together unless somebody explains it to you. Yeah. Yes. Now, it is kind of explained in the catalogue. But if they heard a dialogue about this, if I took them round that and they heard the dialogue of it, they'll remember that and they'll tell other people, you know what, you should really come and see this, but hear it. It's the story, it's the narrative that's important. Mm. So a picture narrative, people aren't going to stand there and read yeah. all the words, not what people do. Yeah. It's but not if, quite the same experience, is it? Yeah. No, but I, 
as you can probably hear, I'm pretty enthusiastic about it even <laughs> yes. now, yes. years later. Because well, I think it's a huge chunk of your life to this. Well, no, it's it's to me it's a very important thing, and I think that since it's now permanently here, people should, especially Freemasons, should come and see it. People get you know pass it on the second floor to going into their lodges all the time. Yes, I'm very happy to take those people and say, let's show you what this is really all about mm. and how this relates to you. Yes. And this this great building. So so someone uh, decides they've heard you say all this. They want to come and come along and have a look. How do they go about it? Do they need to book in? Do they just walk in? How does well, it work? There are. They're going to be now monthly guided tours, and they could be more than that. It depends. I'd like the lodgers to call the marketing people here and say, you know what, various people in our lodge would like to come along and have this, maybe two or three lots because mm. we don't want to do more than 10 people at a time. Or we have a meeting on the following um, days, um, so we'd like to have various of these. I'm happy to do them as often as people want. If only we had somebody who worked in marketing and communications with us today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, uh, if, you would, if you were interested in uh, coming along and hearing from Brian himself about this sensational collection absolutely mind-boggling collection of photos uh, if you drop us an email at tours at freemasonshall.com and we will be able to arrange that for you so that again is tours at freemasonshall.com and that is for a guided tour led by brian deutsch who's obviously our guest today brian we've run out of time unfortunately but it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you thank you very much for taking the time and hopefully you'll come back and speak to us again soon. Well, find me the audience and I'll speak to them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, thank you to Brian Deutsch there. Uh, very interesting talk with him. Um, I found it particularly fascinating uh, because my lodge, Royal, my mother lodge, uh, Royal Lodge of Friendship, number 278. Uh, we have uh, four VC holders on our role of members, which is, uh, I believe, a record of some kind, um, which is, you know, so for me, that had some personal interest for sure. What, did, what do you guys think? I found it really interesting, actually, to see how many VC recipients mm. um, were Freemasons. It's, what is it, like a, a third or something like that? I think it was a sixth. A sixth, sorry, yeah, of all, of all VC recipients were Freemasons. So when you think about the percentage of Freemasons, even then, as a percentage of the population, it, it, it just goes to show how important that sense of togetherness and brotherhood is. Uh, and we know that membership of Freemasonry erupted after both world wars and... and mm. Yeah, very honourable men and women, we found out as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and interesting to find out exactly why, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I liked hearing about the, the you know, the particular photos that were of interest to Brian, because obviously you could tell the passion that he had mm. for, the, yeah. for the collection. And yeah, I would really encourage you, if you're able to come down to Freemasons Hall, come and have a look at the exhibit. And if you'd like to arrange for your lodge to have a tour with brian and he can talk you through it that's an option as well so yeah get in touch with the email we mentioned earlier if that's something that is of interest well with that uh, we shall sign off uh, so goodbye for now from me and from me and from me craftcast the freemasons podcast the podcast is hosted by sean butler stephen Watley, and james dalton the producer is marta zandry and the podcast is edited by trisonic <laughs> <laughs>